Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. A week ago, something unexpected happened near the end of the 94th Academy Awards. Oh, you know about this. <laughs> something made headlines beyond the standard entertainment reporting. The news involved an altercation between two celebrities over a joke that caused more offense than laughter. Physical violence surprisingly resulted, tears subsequently fell, and apologies to an extent have been made. But the fallout from that shocking moment continues. From late night talk show hosts, to daily podcasts, to the opinion pages of newspapers, to the comments of everyday people like you and me posted via social media, this incident has dominated the national water cooler conversation this past week. Nearly everyone has weighed in on what transpired last Sunday evening. Sides have been taken. Pronouncements have been made. Even suggestions of a conspiracy, it was staged, have been raised. And I bring this matter up today not to add to the debate about what happened. No. I bring this up because what struck me, what particularly stands out, is how this episode demonstrates how quickly, how readily, how comfortably we tend to be in passing judgment on others. Assigning responsibility, assessing blame, and for some, even going so far as condemning those we deem to be in the wrong. As we return to the Gospel of Luke, we continue to unpack the longest recorded message Jesus gives in the Gospels, a series of teachings known elsewhere as the Sermon on the Mount, but here in Luke known as the Sermon on the Plain. And Jesus, if you recall, just finished instructing his disciples how to love their enemies, to offer mercy, compassion, and grace to the people who treat us badly, rather than acting in retaliation. And now, Jesus turns to those who would follow him and addresses yet another thorny aspect of human relationships, our repeated tendency to judge and condemn others. And Jesus also addresses the danger of continuing to live this way. Those Bibles are open, or just keep your eyes on the screen. Let's hear from Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 37. Jesus said, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Jesus begins by issuing a series of commands. The literal translation of his opening words here are, stop judging, stop condemning. And before we go any further, let's have a little clarification about what Jesus is speaking of. Jesus, in commanding us to stop judging, isn't declaring anything goes. That there's no such thing as right and wrong in this world. That what is good and true versus what is bad and false are whatever each of us decide to make them to be. No. Jesus isn't telling us to turn a blind eye and just accept everything we see or hear. And we know this isn't what Jesus was talking about because in the next part of this sermon, a passage we'll be looking at in a few weeks, Jesus will tell us to recognize what kind of people we're dealing with by examining the fruit of their actions, the fruit of their lives. And telling the difference between good and bad fruit requires making a judgment. So does forgiveness, by the way, the counterposture Jesus calls us to take in the opening verse of this passage. Forgiving someone first necessitates having previously made a judgment that a wrong has been done. But even beyond these examples, the Bible as a whole, especially the wisdom literature, books like Proverbs and Psalms, they repeatedly admonish us to be properly discerning as we walk by faith through this life. For in this world, we are surrounded by both good and bad, right and wrong, what is true and what is false. And we need to rely on the Word and the Spirit of God to be able to discern which is which. So what Jesus is addressing here is not about discernment. Discernment. It's not about exercising good judgment. It's not about making decisions aimed at being wise, making choices to safeguard us from trouble or harm, Choices that will instead lead to our flourishing. No, what Jesus is commanding us here is not to be judgmental. Judgmental. What's the difference? Being judgmental is not about seeking to be wise. Being judgmental is about feeling and trying to look superior to other people. Being judgmental is more than forming an opinion or making a decision. Being judgmental is about passing sentence, making a pronouncement of guilt or shame upon a situation or another person. Now, for those of you who are really paying attention, you might be going, wait a second. Doesn't Jesus elsewhere direct us? Doesn't Jesus say somewhere else, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell them their fault? Isn't this being judgmental? Not necessarily. You see, biblically, we're called to be our brother or sister's keeper, to take care of each other, which includes holding each other accountable and correcting each other as we learn and grow and mature together. The key here is notice how Jesus pairs judgment and condemnation together. Because being judgmental is about condemnation. Being judgmental is about condemnation rather than reconciliation. Being judgmental, in other words, is not about looking to safeguard or protect another person, building them up through accountability or correction. No, being judgmental is seeking to punish 
to inflict harm and ultimately tear that person down. That's the difference. That's the distinction of being judgmental. And now that we've defined our terms, can we just take a moment to confess how prone we all are to acting this way? But perhaps your response is, I'm not judgmental. Are we so sure? If you're listening today, if you're listening today and you assume Jesus is directing his comments here to some other person, and especially if you have in mind who that person is, then you actually might be the person Jesus is trying to reach through this teaching. If you frequently find yourself making categorical assertions in your mind, or God help us all, out loud, that those people, anyone who looks, who thinks, who speaks, who acts differently than you do, is completely wrong and totally bad, then you might be the one most in need of hearing what Jesus is saying in this passage. Now, I'm not judging you. I'm only asking you to consider if maybe today's word applies to you more than you initially thought. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing that's true of all of us. It's much easier to pass judgment on another person than it is to withhold judgment, right? It's much easier to pass judgment on another person than it is to withhold judgment. I mean, for most of us, our default is not to be empathetic or sympathetic when it comes to other people, especially people we don't know, especially people we don't like, especially people to whom we don't relate. Instead, we tend to be suspicious. What do you want? What do you want? Or pessimistic, cynical. What's your angle? What are you getting at? Or worse, downright defensive. Why are you asking me? But our tendency towards judgmentalism goes far beyond when others approach or make a request of us. Even from a distance, right? Even from a distance, when no engagement has been made with us, we often sit back and pass judgment on what others say and do, the positions and actions they take. I mean, as much as we'd love to say we've never judged anyone, the human inclination is to make premature assessments of people and to jump to conclusions as to their motives, their intentions, all the time. Who dresses like that? Clearly, their marriage has issues. Don't they have any manners or any common courtesy? For a child to act like that, it's obviously bad parenting. This past week, <laughs> this past week in preparation for this message, I attempted to be mindful, conscious, to catch myself whenever my thoughts or attitudes toward another person or situation crept into a judgmental stance. And I got to tell you, I was shook, humbled by how easily and how often I found myself reacting negatively, hypercritically, 
passing judgment on other people's quirks, opinions, or actions, labeling each person in my mind, casting aspersions upon them in my heart, ultimately condemning them. And when I probed each of those reactions, I was forced to confront premature assumptions I was making about that person's character, about their motives, about their intent. And more than this, I had to reckon with what lay behind all those judgments I was making about others. And what lay behind all those judgments I was making about others was my sense of superiority over them. I don't recommend this as an experiment. Maybe then again I do. That sense of superiority, that's the seduction of being judgmental, isn't it? That's the seduction, the feeling of power, exalting ourselves, that sense of status. That's why so many of our conversations, that's why so many of our postings on social media, that's why so much of the content we watch and listen to revolves around ridiculing, insulting, even condemning the inconsistencies and failings of public figures. Seriously, pay attention to that. How often much of what comes in our conversation is about tearing somebody else down. We can take great self-satisfaction. We can take great self-satisfaction in perceiving our opinions, our choices, our actions as being better than theirs are. Playing the comparison game is attractive when we believe we hold all the cards, when we think we've got the winning hand. And that's why in so many of our relationships with people we barely know, and even those closest to us, in so many of our relationships, we feel the license to give unsolicited and unwelcome advice. It's why we often feel like it's okay to begin with a critique before offering a compliment. It's why we feel like it's not a problem to passive-aggressively imply or perhaps even dogmatically insist why our point of view our way of doing things is the right way, the only way. And yet Jesus cautions us to stop living like this. Jesus begins with a command against living like this, but then he humorously, and it is humorous, humorously designs a verbal PowerPoint presentation, a series of successive pictures reflecting the problem with living out of a judgmental posture. And the most famous, the most memorable of these images is the one of the person who is fixated upon the speck of sawdust in their brother's eye, all the while being oblivious to the plank of wood sticking out of their own eye. Engaging in a bit of hyperbole, Jesus is calling out the blatant hypocrisy of living out of a place of moral superiority. The comedian George Carlin Riley observed once a universal rule of the road. Everyone who drives slower than you is an idiot. And everyone who drives faster than you is a maniac. To the speeding driver, everyone's an idiot. To the slow driver, everyone's a maniac. But one rule applies to us all. My speed is always just right. One of the problems with being judgmental is living under a false assumption that we are good and everyone else is bad. That we are right 
and everyone else is just wrong. But one of the foundational premises of the gospel is we are all sinners alike. We are all broken, flawed, imperfect people in desperate need of the grace of God. And that means, that means we should always start in our engagement with others from a place of humility rather than presumption. From a place of humility, of recognizing our common flaw, which is sin. The problem with being judgmental is the person who sets himself, him or herself up as a judge and jury of another person's imperfections, the problem is they themselves are also imperfect. Notice, Jesus doesn't deny that people have failings. Jesus invites me to look at my own blind spots first. And when we do this, when we willingly and honestly confront our flaws and our faults we will find ourselves less willing to claim the moral high ground and more inclined to recognize we stand before God on equal footing with the person we are judging and condemning. And even if our motivation is sincere, right? Even if our motivation is sincere in trying to come alongside our brother or sister whose line of sight is marred by a speck of sawdust, Jesus notes we can't help them unless we admit and receive the help, the grace from God we need first. And that leads, by the way, to the second problem with being judgmental. The second problem. If none of us have a problem turning to another person and seeing their flaws and faults, but all of us have a lot of problem owning up to our own shortcomings and faults, then we need to be careful, as Jesus notes, of the blind leading the blind. What Jesus is teasing out is how judgmentalism compromises our ability to lead and to help others. When I'm blinded to my own flaws and failings, when I'm blinded to my own need for God's grace, then I have no business trying to guide others. In fact, in holding on to my judgmentalism, in refusing to see myself clearly, I am dangerous, liable to cause another person harm, rather than to help them, liable to lead us both to fall into a pit, a pit of despair. This, by the way, this is why confession and repentance are not one-time actions we undertake only when we first come to Christ. Confession and repentance are ongoing postures we adopt. They are part of our daily practice of abiding in Jesus so that we are given eyes to see where and how the word and spirit is stretching and empowering us to grow in grace. When the daily practices of confession and repentance are neglected or abandoned, when we don't regularly confess and repent before God, not that he doesn't forgive us, God's forgiven everything, but when we don't do that as a way of abiding in Christ, confessing ourselves, repenting, when we neglect or abandon that as a daily practice, we gradually return to a mindset of self-reliance, of not allowing Christ to reveal himself through our weakness, but asserting a false perception of our strength apart from Christ. And once we go there, 
Once we, once we start to return to living out of a sense of self-importance and self-sufficiency, once we return to a posture of playing God, judging and condemning others will inevitably follow. You know what's interesting too is oftentimes we limit our ability or the ability of others to help to lead in a situation of need because of their flaws, our flaws and failures. But something really important to notice here, it's not our flaws and our failures that disqualify anyone from being able to help or to lead. Hear that. Our flaws and our failures do not disqualify us from being able to help or to lead. What compromises, what excludes anyone's viability in helping or leading others is choosing to remain blind, is being unwilling to see one's flaws, being unwilling to own one's failures and to submit them to Christ. Maintaining a posture of judgmentalism contributes to the problems of this world rather than being a part of the solution. And that's Jesus' third observation when he speaks in that part about measures and their effect of pouring over into everything else. As we persist in being judgmental, in playing God, we add to the brokenness and separation in our lives rather than becoming agents of healing and reconciliation in a broken world. All our misjudgments, all our bad judgments, neither right wrongs or bring us closer together. No, judgmentalism in setting us up to interact with each other in false ways creates lasting stereotypes. It reinforces existing prejudices. And those labels, once attached to us as individuals or as groups, become hard to remove or to get beyond. The judgments of others can affect how we think about ourselves. They can unwittingly pressure us to live according to their assessment of who we are rather than who God created us to be in Christ. And judging others can also provoke the retaliation of counterjudgment, right? When we perceive we're being judged and condemned, we fight back by putting someone else in the dock, by pointing the finger and accusing them. Judgment, judgmentalism inevitably leads to finding and branding a scapegoat. Someone we can lord over and dominate. Someone we can blame for all our problems, for all the troubles of this world. But Jesus pulls no punches. Jesus soberly warns us, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In choosing to remain judgmental, in other words, we only judge ourselves. In choosing to condemn others, we only condemn ourselves. In choosing to be judgmental and condemn others, we pull away from, we deny, we cut ourselves off from the grace that God seeks to lavish upon us, the grace that God seeks to impart through us to others. And beloved, the answer to the problem of judgmentalism isn't complicated. It isn't a mystery. Right from the start, Jesus gives us the antidote to living this way. And it's an answer that Jesus will repeat many more times until he offers us a definitive picture of what this answer looks like in practice as he hangs from a cross at Calvary. The answer to the problem of passing judgment and condemning others is to forgive 
as we have been forgiven. It is to love our neighbor as we are loved by God. It is to share the grace the Lord pours into our lives through a posture of inclusion, a posture of acceptance, a posture of full-course hospitality. Now, we've all heard this before. I'm not saying sharing anything that's radically new. This redirection is known to us. And yet, one of the more common critiques of the church these days is that professed followers of Jesus, we, us, that professed followers of Jesus can remain pretty judgmental even as we claim to be a forgiving people. How can this be possible? How can this be possible? Sadly, it's possible because we don't fully understand, because we don't fully appreciate how radically different our typical understanding and practice of forgiveness is from that of Jesus Christ. I want to say that again. We don't fully understand or appreciate how radically different our typical understanding and practice of forgiveness is from that of Jesus Christ. Consider this. In human terms, forgiveness is a matter of asking and granting. The person in the wrong submits to the one they have wronged and asks for forgiveness. The person who has been wronged receives an apology and then chooses whether or not to grant forgiveness. Practiced solely on these terms, asking for and granting forgiveness becomes an exchange of power. The very idea of granting forgiveness implies our sense of power. Thus, when we forgive, in human terms, we can feel generous or magnanimous. After all, we're acting like the bigger person, right? Forgiveness can inflate our ego. Am I not merciful? Am I not merciful? And consider how the person who is forgiven is often framed. The one who is forgiven can, by implication, be left or remain in an inferior position. We, as the forgiver, hold the upper hand. They owe us. They're indebted to us. After all, we didn't have to forgive them. We granted forgiveness. While forgiveness on these terms accomplishes something, right? While forgiveness on these terms accomplishes something. I mean, after all, pardoning another person is better than punishing them. If this is as far as forgiveness goes then this is not true reconciliation. This falls far short of the forgiveness God extends to us in Christ. Because, contrary to how we often perceive it, how we often represent it, God's forgiveness is not conditional upon our repentance. Now, some of you are going, wait a second. God's forgiveness is not conditional upon our repentance. After all, Jesus doesn't come down and declare, you're sinful, all of you. You're sinful, but I'm big-hearted enough to come down and forgive you if you apologize and if you ask me nicely. 
right? No, the operating assumption of the gospel is while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God comes down to us in Jesus because God forgives us. Something to notice in the Gospels that we don't talk about a lot. We should talk about this some more. Something that happens in the Gospels is Jesus declares the forgiveness of sins long before the cross. Did you ever notice that? And this is because the work of the cross is the ultimate reflection of God's forgiveness. The cross is not the moment when God forgives us. To repeat, God forgives us before we ask for it. God forgives us before we say we're sorry. God forgives us before we repent and turn back to him. Now, I know some of you are sitting on it. You're thinking, but aren't we called to repent? Aren't we called to repent? Doesn't the Bible say repentance is required for the forgiveness of sins? Listen carefully. God's forgiveness is not conditional upon our repentance. Our experience of God's forgiveness is conditional upon our repentance. And there are several examples we can point to in the Gospels when forgiveness is extended by Jesus before or even without any sign of repentance by the other person. The one example I'll point to this morning is that of the elder son in the parable Jesus tells about the father and his two sons. Luke chapter 15, the parable of the prodigal son. Notice in that story, the elder son is forgiven, welcomed into the party, into all that the father has, even though he is unrepentant. But the elder son denies himself the gift, the experience of forgiveness, because of his unrepentance. There's a difference. We often frame divine forgiveness as solely being about God showing us undeserved mercy. And the way that this is typically framed is we are dirty, rotten sinners, imperfect, unholy people whom a perfect and holy God cannot occupy the same space with, but mercifully chooses to forgive us despite this, receiving Christ's righteousness in exchange for all our sin so that we can be with him. And while certainly... The Lord's pardoning of humanity is an act of unmerited mercy. Biblically, the work and scope of forgiveness that God seeks to impart into our lives through Christ is far more than a transactional exchange. The Christian theologian and mystic Richard Rohr once put it this way, Jesus' forgiveness is less of an act of mercy and more of an act of loyalty. Loyalty to the truth of who we are. I'm going to say that again. Jesus' forgiveness is less, doesn't say not, less of an act of mercy and more of an act of loyalty. Loyalty to the truth of who we are. And what I'm getting at is perhaps our judgmentalism, our predilection towards judgmentalism stems in part from our misperception as to how God judges us. God doesn't come down in Christ to condemn us. God comes down to us in Christ to save us from ourselves. 
Jesus doesn't assert we are inherently bad. Jesus asserts we are broken. If our identity in Christ is not defined by what we do, what we earn or achieve, what we merit or deserve, then we are not bad. The problem, our problem, is sin. It's thinking and speaking and acting and living badly. Not according to the truth of who God is. Not living according to the truth of who we are, both individually and collectively. Jesus doesn't teach us we're the problem. Jesus teaches us that the problem is we're lost. We're blind. We're going the wrong way. Not the way we were intended to live. Not being who we were created to be. And in the answer to the problem of our sin, Jesus offers us more than a pardon. Jesus extends to us forgiveness that purposes to reshape our sense of identity. In removing all our guilt and shame, the forgiveness of Christ casts aside all the judgments others have laid upon us. In removing all our guilt and shame, the forgiveness of Christ casts aside all the judgments we make about ourselves. In human terms, when we forgive, like I alluded to before, in human terms, when we forgive, we do so to look good, to be the bigger person. But when God forgives, God has nothing to prove. And so the forgiveness Jesus imparts to us as the son isn't to make his father look good. It's to enable us to realize the truth of how good we can be. It's to help us to realize the best, fullest, complete version of who we can become. This is what Jesus ultimately wants us to see. This is why Jesus forgives us, removes all our guilt and shame, so that we can, so that we will, as St. Augustine once wrote, see ourselves and see each other, not just as we are now, but as we were meant to be. This is the kind of forgiveness Jesus brings, forgiveness that reconciles us not only to God, but reconciles us also to ourselves and to each other. Forgiveness that restores our common dignity and worth. Beloved, the only way to stop being judgmental and condemning others is to follow Christ in forgiving others the way he forgives us. And that means forgiving without conditions. That means forgiving even without repentance. And I know this can be hard for many of us to swallow. Because once we truly understand it, God's work of forgiveness upsets our moral sense of justice. Parties for prodigals? Open tables for tax collectors and sinners? Kindness and inclusion for outsiders and half-breeds, Gentiles and Samaritans? All without an apology? All without some form of restitution? Not acceptable. Not enough. Judgmentalism begins. It begins to take form in our lives the moment we convince ourselves that the work of God is somehow incomplete and we need to take care of the part the Lord misses. And so we rush to judgment. And so we pass sentence on others. And so we draw lines in the sand. 
claiming the necessity, the importance of justice needing to be done. But as we even raise the gavel, as we pick up our rock, that chip on our shoulder to throw at the other person, we cannot escape, we cannot ignore the voice of Jesus once more declaring, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Yes, there is no lasting reconciliation without final justice. Yes, there is no righteousness unless wrongs are righted. But final, ultimate justice belongs to the Lord. This is God's work, church, not ours. Our work is to act justly rather than to sit in judgment on others. Our work is to forgive as we have been forgiven rather than to condemn anyone. And as we are forgiven, we are to forgive others. In so doing, as we forgive as we have been forgiven, in so doing, we are to release the transformative power of the love of God. Jesus calls those who follow him to do so out of a posture of humble forgiveness rather than one of presumptive judgment. But let's be clear, there's a difference between forgiveness as a religious obligation and duty and forgiveness as a reflection of one's faith. Forgiveness as an act of sacrificial love that points not to ourselves but points to Jesus Christ. True forgiveness is believing in someone beyond the limits and fractures of their sin. It is accepting that person for who they are in Christ and reflecting their true identity in Christ back to them rather than allowing that person to be destroyed by self-hatred or worse, contributing to their self-loathing. That's the problem with revenge, by the way, and this is another way to talk about it. We're obsessed with revenge in our world. That's the problem with revenge. It's not about payback. It's not about payback. Revenge is about annihilation, the annihilation of who that person is. It's about ruining them, destroying them. But to truly forgive, to truly forgive someone is to recognize who they are, not because of their sin, but in spite of it. And it's to affirm the best version of themselves in the midst of their imperfection and flaws. Jesus says there are two realities we can buy into. Two realities. One is the realm of judgments, verdicts, and condemnation. One is a history, a repeated cycle of violence based on grudges held, hurts we pass on, and retaliations that we justify. One is a road marked by unnecessary suffering that in the end leads right back to where it starts and thus goes nowhere. But the gospel proclaims we don't have to live in this reality any longer. And Jesus says here to choose to remain in this space only leads to reaping what we sow. But the other realm, the other realm which Jesus comes to inaugurate, the other realm which Jesus beckons us to enter is the kingdom of God. A realm marked by grace and laughter. A realm marked by not taking ourselves so seriously. 
but always taking our compassion towards others as sacred. It's a way of life in which tables are open and wide enough for anyone to join our company, for anyone to share our food, as together our cups overflow, runneth over by God's grace. It's an economy where we don't look to score points at the expense of another person. But instead, the currency we exchange with each other is that of shared hope and love. It's a road walked by faith. By faith, faith that leads beyond our fears. Faith that takes us beyond our troubles. Faith that leads us even beyond death itself. It's the gospel. The gospel of forgiveness in which God's promise of a reconciled, just, and everlasting future is actualized by us here and now. Amen. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.